Thank you very much. Let's open our Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John and chapter number 20. The Gospel of John and chapter number 20. While you're turning there, I'll say it's a blessing for my wife and for me to be here uh, for this meeting. We're definitely looking forward to the service tonight. Uh, one of the things that has always uh, not amused me but troubled me, I guess I should say, is uh, on this uh, occasion, how many people said, well, now, Pastor, we won't be there tonight because we got family and we're going here and we're going there. And I thought, what a way to celebrate the resurrection. Well, that went over really good. So anyway, we're looking forward to the service tonight. And I think uh, Easter Sunday would be a great day. If you've not normally attended on Sunday night, it'd be a great day. I mean, this is the Lord's day. It's not even my day. It's not your day. This is the Lord's day. It'd be a wonderful thing to have everybody back tonight, and we'll be in John 21 tonight. And so I hope that you'll uh, be familiar with uh, the passage enough here this morning, kind of set the stage for tonight, and we're looking forward to a good time in the Word of God then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night. I'm so glad my wife is with me. Sandra, if you don't mind standing, this is my help meet in the ministry for the past 52 years. I've been married uh, 53 next month. And so I want to thank God for her, and so glad I know she's looking forward to fellowship with the congregation, and maybe especially Miss Sonia, and looking forward to time with her. All right, we're in John chapter uh, 20. We're going to begin reading in verse 19. If you don't mind standing for the reading of the Word of God, John chapter 20 and verse 19. Now, by the time we come to verse number 19, if you went back to chapter 19, you'd see that at the very last, uh, Jesus was laid in the sepulcher. And then chapter 20, by the time we come to verse 19, Mary Magdalene has gone to the tomb very early in the morning, and the stone was rolled away. In her excitement, maybe fear, anticipation, she went back to tell Peter. Peter and John then had the foot race from where they were to the sepulcher, and they found that the tomb was indeed empty. Musing upon these things, they went back to their uh, place, and Mary Magdalene then uh, came back, and Jesus appeared to her, spoke to her. The resurrected Christ spoke to Mary, and she was amazed. And she came and told the disciples, who were now assembled together, uh, came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that, in fact, he is risen. Verse 19. Then, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, mark that, please, the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. 
Dear God, we thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for the occasion. We're thankful for every Lord's Day. It's not just what is uh, termed Easter Sunday that we celebrate the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, but every first day of the week when we assemble, we acknowledge that Jesus is alive. And so God, I want to thank you now for this time, and I pray that you would bless the effort to proclaim your word, and might it find hearing hearts, O God. Your son Jesus said, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And even as the pastor has already implicated, O God, I pray that we would not just have bodily presence here, but that we would have our ears and our heart open to your word. Thank you now for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. God bless you. you may be seated. <clears throat> Jesus had been delivered into the hands of sinners as he told his disciples he would. He had to set Peter in his place because when Jesus said that he would go to Jerusalem, be delivered into the hands of sinners, and die at their hand, then Peter said, this shall not be unto thee. And so Jesus had to correct his thinking. And as a matter of fact, he was delivered into their hands, and he was killed. That's the Bible terminology. We understand that Jesus said, no man takes my life from me, I lay it down of myself. At the same time, we understand the guilt of those that were responsible that his blood then would be upon their hands because they had every intent to kill the Lord Jesus Christ and crucify him. On that cross, he said, it is finished, meaning the work is done. I have accomplished why I came. The purpose of my father has been accomplished. He came to die for sinners. And there on that cross... The Bible says he bare our sins in his own body on that tree. And he became our sin bearer, our substitute, him instead of me, him instead of you, taking the wrath of God upon himself. And then he was buried, but he rose from the dead. We've heard the message in song this morning, and we understand that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he is alive. The Bible says that that is what the gospel is, that Jesus died for sin according to the scriptures, was buried, and rose again from the dead. You read the great resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and you'll see the definition of the gospel. Jesus died according to the scriptures, he was buried, and he rose again from the dead. We have the account before us here where Jesus then met with his disciples. Uh, the latest record that we have on the disciples prior to him appearing before them here, the latest record goes something like this. Um, one of them betrayed him to be crucified. Uh, one of them, the strongest spokesman of them all, who committed himself to follow all the way to death, denied that he even knew him three times. And the Bible says they all forsook him and fled. 
So think about this, that Jesus had spent three plus years with his disciples for the purpose of what? Discipling them. And if you want to see the kind of fearful, frail, doubting individuals they were, even though he told them exactly what would happen, and even though it happened exactly as he said, still they were fearful and they were frail and they were doubting men. And they're assembled here. I ask you to mark it in your mind that when they are assembled on the first day of the week, the day is pretty much gone now, but they are assembled and the door is shut. And the implication there is not just that somebody shut the door, it's barred shut. And it was barred shut for fear of the Jews. They were afraid of their own life. Hence, when I say they were fearful individuals, well, they were. And they were doubting individuals, well, they were. They had all forsaken him and fled, and even now they are lacking understanding in what has transpired. And uh, they were doubting and frail and fearful men they were. And then the Bible says that Jesus came into that room. Now, I love the fact that there was no removing of the obstacles before the door. He just appeared there. I mean, come on. Uh, if If the tomb couldn't hold him in, a door can't keep him out. You understand what I'm saying? And so somebody says, well, they rolled away the stone, but they rolled away the stone to show the tomb was empty. Not because that's what it took for him to get out. Because no stone could hold him and no door could keep him out. And there he stood among the disciples in that room. And why were they there? Well, they were trying to figure out what was going on. What do we do now? Why were they there with the door shut? Because they were afraid of the Jews. If they called for the crucifixion of Jesus, what will they do to us? And here they are, fearful in the room. And Jesus then appeared to those, one who had denied him and then commit suicide, Judas, Peter who had denied him, Judas betrayed and Peter denied that he even knew him. They all forsook him and fled. Now they're assembled together. And watch now, Jesus appears in this room. Isn't it wonderful how he addresses them? I'm glad that Jesus didn't appear to the room and say, Well, well, go with me all the way, huh? All the way to death. By the way, in Matthew's account, when Peter said, I will go with you all the way to death, the scripture says, so said they all, not just Peter. And Jesus walks in and he doesn't say, Well, you're not the men you thought you were, are you? Yep, look at you. Here, hiding in this room, fearful and afraid. That's not what Jesus did. Praise the Lord, that's not what he did. And I'm thankful on a personal level that that's not the way he works. And so Jesus stood there, and his first words to them, to these fearful, frail, doubting men, peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. In fact, he says it twice. Peace be unto you. I find that utterly amazing. You talk about grace. uh, That's a good place for an amen. If you're not into amens and you want to know when you should say amen, that's a very good place. You talk about grace where Jesus said to them, peace be unto you, instead of scathing them uh, for their fear and for their doubt and for their failure and for their frailty. He says, peace be unto you. And then if you'll notice down in verse number 22, Uh, One, the Bible says, Jesus said to them again, 
Watch this. Peace be unto you. Now watch this. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Now the first thing he does, please get this. The first thing he does is pronounce peace upon them. And peace doesn't just mean the absence of strife, the absence of contention, the absence of war. Peace means may the blessings of my Father be bestowed upon you. May you receive the best bestowments of my Father. That's what the word means. We hear the word often from the Jewish uh, realm, uh, shalom. And shalom is the same. It's the same word. That's what he said to them. It's not just that. There is the absence of strife, confusion, and contention. But it means I want my blessings upon you. So he pronounces peace upon them. And the second thing he does is give them their mission. Why are they assembled here? Well, they're assembled for fear of the Jews. Why else are they assembled there? Well, what do we do now? Where do we go from here? Because they didn't know. They were not yet of good understanding. They struggled with some of them with this for quite a while yet, even after he was raised from the dead. And so Jesus says to them now, here is my mission for you. As Listen carefully. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Now, I want to say this for just a moment. I, I, I hope I'm not misunderstood. I love to preach about the resurrections. I've got sermons about Jesus rose from the dead. I've got several sermons like preachers that study the Bible would have out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I've probably got a sermon about the resurrection out of every gospel. But I'm going to say to you this morning that one of the concerns that I have is that there is a once a year a rush of excitement about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then uh, the uh, seeming desire to be thankful that he lives and that he rose again from the dead. I mean, after all, we wouldn't have salvation without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I want to say, if we are not serious about the mission that he gave when he rose from the dead, if we're not serious about that, then I wonder how serious we are about the excitement of the resurrection. I feel like going over here and sitting down and amen in myself, but I'm trying to keep moving here. I'm I'm very serious about that. Oh, it's Easter Sunday. We go, I'm sure we go to church. We always go to church. What's Easter about? Uh, It's the resurrection. Resurrection. It's more about, less about bunnies and eggs and all of that kind of stuff. It's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you're serious about, oh, it's a wonderful thing that Jesus died and went to the cross of Calvary and that he was buried and that he rose again from the dead. And, And now, please, don't misunderstand me. But I want to challenge every one of us that if we are not serious about what he said, the mission is after his resurrection, there might be a misunderstanding about the purpose of his, res- of his resurrection and all the enthusiasm about it. Because what he does here is he gives a parallel statement. As my father has sent me, even so send I you. As a title for this little sermon this morning, I would call it The Gospel Train Runs on Two Tracks. The Gospel Train runs on two tracks. The first track is this, My Father Sent Me. The second track is this, Even So Send I You. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is a fact that Jesus came and died for the sins of the whole world. That is an absolute fact. That when he went to the cross of Calvary, he offered the way of salvation. 
Now, somebody says, well, that's what you say as a Baptist, but that's what you say as a Bible believer, but there are people that say this and that and there are other religions. Jesus said it. Now, listen to this carefully. Jesus said it. I am the way. That limits the uh, possibility of another way. I am the way. I am the truth. Anything apart from him is not truth. I am the truth. I am the life. Apart from him, there is no life. I am the truth, the life, and the way, and no man, no man comes to the Father but by me. Now, if that's not true, we ought to dismiss right now and go to the house. I'm just saying, if that is not so, then we might as well just dismiss and go do something else with this day. Because Jesus spoke. Somebody says, John 3.16 is my favorite for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Oh, what a wonderful verse. Well, it is a wonderful verse, man. It's one of my favorite verses too. But the same Jesus spoke and said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Now, if you don't believe that, then why are you so excited about John 3.16? How do you know it's true? See? But it is true. And Jesus did come and die for sinners. And there's none other salvation under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I mean, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote and said, there's one God. And there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. See, I'm, I'm just saying, it's not just an isolated little thing in the Bible. It is the message of the Bible that the way of salvation, the way to a right standing with God, the way for the forgiveness of our sin that would separate us from God, the only way that a person may know that they have eternal life is by a personal faith in Jesus Christ. There's no other way. And Jesus said, my father sent me. Now, we know this about Jesus, and it's 12 times mentioned in the Gospel of John, if you want to go check it out, that he was sent by the Father. So the Father, God, is the sender, and the Son is the sent one. And so Jesus came to die for sinners, and he did his part. Can we put it this way? He laid the first track. But no train runs on one track. I'm not over anybody's head. Come on. It takes two tracks for the train to run. And Jesus laid the first track. I picture in my mind people out here doing railroad work, which I know nothing about, but I've seen them do it, and I watched it quite a bit up in the Northwest this past summer, and they were doing some laying of railroad, and so you, they have this high-tech equipment out there, and I'm telling you, when they laid that track, it is laid down to absolute perfection. It's going to carry a lot of weight. There's a lot at stake. There are lives at stake and goods and, and uh, production and, and uh, a lot of uh, money and economy at stake, and so they lay that track down, and I guarantee to you that's inspected after that, and that track is laid. Now, what if we said, all right, let's examine the Bible and see. Jesus came as the Father sent him. How did Jesus do? Well, he did only those things that please the Father. I've come to do my Father's will. When he hung on the cross and died, he said, it is finished. I mean, Jesus came, can we say it this way, and laid that first track perfectly. Now, we're out there watching the guys on the railroad. Well, they've inspected that rail. That thing is perfect. Now, let's lay the other one. 
Okay, well, we got to hurry because, uh, you know, vacation time is coming or the weather's going to get bad. So we got to hurry. Well, the first one is good. So let's just lay this in the best we can and get out of here. Uh, 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 uh. No, that's not going to work, friend. This second track has to be laid with the same care and precision, precision as the first, doesn't it? I think some of you see where this is going. You're not feeling too good about it. Now, come on. Let's follow along here. <laughs> Jesus came and laid the first track. Now, here's the parallel statement, which is the second track. As my Father has sent me, in the same manner that I have been sent by my Father to do His will, I am now sending you to do the Father's will, and the mission continues to be the same. And the mission has to do with sinners coming to know Jesus Christ. See? Now, that is the purpose of the gospel, so that people might be saved. I remember when I got saved. Can you remember when you got saved? You know how we all got saved if we are saved? We got saved by hearing the gospel. We got saved because somebody carried the gospel. We got saved because as the gospel was preached that Jesus came and died for our sins and he was buried and rose again from the dead, the Holy Spirit of God convicted us. That's why the Holy Spirit is given, to convince us of truth and righteousness and of judgment. And we became convinced that this is the truth, that I'm a sinner. I can do nothing about my condition before God. That Jesus, the righteous one, came and he did what was necessary, took the wrath of God for my sin upon himself. And Jesus finished the work, was buried and raised again from the dead and said to those disciples, who by the way, who by the way, constituted the first church, Jesus and his disciples. Well, I think the church doesn't matter what anybody thinks. It matters what the Bible says. This was his called out assembly. That's what the word means. He's not talking about anything universal. He's not talking about anything invisible. He is talking about these men, they constituted the first church. He's the head, they are the body. And Jesus did this purposefully. He said to these men, he said, as my Father has sent you, me, even so send I you. And this would be his commission to his church subsequently till he comes again. See, what is that? Well, I was sent by my Father. For what purpose? So that sinners might be saved. Now, I am sending you. So what was the job of the disciples? What was the job of the apostles? What was it? Well, it was obviously to do what Jesus did, reach sinners. Now, they can't save the sinners, but they can bring the sinners to the cross. They can't save the sinners, but they can bring them to the understanding that Jesus died for their sin. So what Jesus did, and that is to pay the price so the sinners can be saved, the second track has to do with the, uh, with the believer or the follower of Jesus Christ or those that are part of a New Testament church. Our responsibility remains to care for sinners. Question. Just by your understanding of the Bible, how do you think Jesus did laying that first track? Well, nobody in their right mind would say, I found fault here. I found fault there. Well, you may have a wild imagination, but you can't find fault with what Jesus did. He only did what pleased the Father. Come on. He spoke the words the Father gave him to speak. He did the works the Father gave him to do. That's all he did. You trying to tell me that he never said anything his father didn't mean for him to say? I'm not trying to. I am telling you. He never said anything his father didn't give him to say. Look at me a second. He didn't do any work that wasn't given him 
by the Father to do. By the time Jesus ascended back to the Father in heaven, he had done all things well and had done everything to please the Father. Now, are you saved? If you're saved, how are you doing? How are you doing on this second train? As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Well, let's, say, let's just get real, I mean, real simple here today. Let's say to the members of Victory Baptist Church, we probably have some guests here today, but let's say to the members of Victory Baptist Church, I'm a member of Southwest Baptist Church in Oklahoma City, and my responsibility is to keep doing what Jesus did. His mission. What was that? I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. He provided the way of salvation. He gave himself to die for their sin. Now, And so Jesus went about... And, and he, he said, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. He's that good shepherd that finds the, life, the lost sheep. And Jesus manifests that. He did everything he was supposed to do. Now, now listen, the second rail has to do with you and me. And if you're a member of this church, how's that going? Well, somebody says, well, I mean, I, I, I think I hear what you're saying here. No, wait. He said, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And the Father didn't just send him. See, see how this works out. His Father sent him for a specific purpose, for a specific reason. Now, Jesus said, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. You, as a believer, live here in this world for a specific purpose. And it's not just to have yourself a good time till you go to heaven. Is to continue to do what he did. Now, how's that going? Oh, well, you know, preacher, um, you know, I can talk to people about almost anything, but I'll tell you, when it comes to religion, well, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about faith in your Savior. Faith in our best friend. What about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, well, I, oh, I don't know. I just, I don't know. Were you maybe fearful? Yeah, well, I hate to admit it, but ugh, I don't know. I'm just kind of afraid to talk to people about religion and the Bible and things like that. I just don't know if I'm prepared for that. Mm -hmm. Kind of fearful. Mm -hmm. Kind of doubtful. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I could handle that or not. Maybe feel like you might be a failure. Yeah, make make a fool out of myself. Probably fail. You mean like those eleven guys? Actually, there was ten. One of them doubted there'd be any need to show up right then, so there was ten in there. One of them was dead of the twelve, and and the other Thomas decided, ah, there's no point in meeting now, so he didn't meet. But there was ten men in there, and why was that door shut again? Because they were what? Fearful. Uh -huh. So had these men done pretty good up till now? Well, actually, no. Their last action was, I don't even know him. And their last action was they all forsook him and fled. So they were kind of fearful, doubting failures. What did he say to them? Oh, well, bless your heart, you're afraid. I excuse you. He didn't say that, did he? Sarcasm must not be going over so good this morning. I'll, I'll try to avoid that. But Jesus did not come in and say to them, well, bless you. You, 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 you're fearful, or bless you, you have doubts, or bless you, you're afraid. Jesus just came to them and said, here's what I have for you. As my Father sent me, even so send I you. 
And if you're sitting here today and you feel like, I just can't see myself talking to people about Jesus. I just can't see people, uh, myself talking to people about the Lord. I can't see myself getting engaged or engaging someone about the things of God and the Bible and the message of salvation. Well, now hold on just a minute. Jesus is aware of fear of man. He is aware of the frailty of man. He is aware that we are doubting beings. And yet he came into them and said, peace be unto you. And then he gave them three reasons for assurance. Look at these hands. And he showed him right there in our text, his hands and his side. What is that saying? It's me. I am really raised from the dead. I've done everything necessary for salvation to be complete. I came and gave myself. I came and bore on that cross of shame. There are the scars. There's the scar in the side where the soldiers plunged the spear. I have done everything necessary for sinners to be saved. I wish everybody would hear that. Somebody says, I just don't know if I can do that. You're acting like it's up to you. The work for salvation has already been done. I said it's already been done. Jesus is alive. He is raised from the dead. If it were not so that he were raised from the dead, then I can see us sitting around twiddling our thumbs and playing church and trying to make church some kind of a social center with a better atmosphere than the world offers. I can see that. But we know Jesus is raised from the dead. And we know that he came to save sinners. And those scars in his hand and that scar in his side that he showed them is to give them assurance. Look, I am alive. And then he assured him another way. He said, he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, there's no need in trying to make this some big complicated uh, ordeal thing. What he is doing is giving them a sampling, an understanding that what you are going to do heretofore cannot be done in your own strength. He had already taught them before he ever died that he was going to send the Holy Ghost and that the Holy Ghost would give them the understanding, the mind, the memory, the ability to do what he did and to teach what he taught and to tell others about Jesus Christ. It wasn't in their strength at all. He has given them the Holy Spirit. Now the day of Pentecost is going to come and it's going to be a big change maker, but here is a four a runner or a precursor of the day of Pentecost, he says to them, you're afraid, you're frail, you're fearful, you're doubters, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And they got a sampling of the strength that would be theirs right there. Now, we don't talk about in that terms with us. Do you know that when you got saved, you know what the Bible says about you as a believer? That God shed his love abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost which is given to us. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. When we get saved and know Jesus as our Savior, we have the helper, the paraclete, the one who comes along beside, the one who teaches and gives us understanding, the one who empowers and enables. As a believer in Jesus Christ, he's dwelling in me and he's dwelling in you. Really, we have an excuse for not carrying out his mission? I said, really? We have an excuse for not carrying out his missions? He did all the work. I said, he did all the work. He moved into us by the Holy Spirit. Paul said, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. If we in fact are his, the Holy Spirit is in us. 
And there's no excuse for us not doing our work. And the third assurance was this. He said, whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted. Whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Somebody says, oh, yeah, that has to do with the Pope, doesn't it? And, and, uh, and that has to do with St. Peter and uh, as a position of the first Pope. No, it doesn't have to do with him. It doesn't have to do with anything about a papal system. It is simply this. When you go out, listen, please. When you go out and fulfill the mission and tell others about Jesus Christ, those that repent and believe, you don't make their sins remitted. Their sins are remitted. If by your work they believe in Jesus Christ, their sins are remitted. If they reject Jesus Christ, those sins are retained. And he said, I'm giving you power that whoever you bring to me their sins will be forgiven. Hold, hold, hold on just a second. What is he doing here? I'll tell you what he's doing. He is assuring them not only that he's finished the work, scars in the hands and side, but not only the presence of the Holy Spirit, but he is also teaching them. Now, now you got to get this. He is also teaching them with the assurance that Jesus is God. Where did you get that? The Bible. Now listen carefully. Because that time when Jesus in his public ministry, they let down that man through the roof, four, born of four, they let him down the roof. And here's this man that had no ability to walk. They cut a hole in the roof, let it down to this house that is jam-packed. And Jesus looks at the man, and you know what he said? Thy sins be forgiven thee. Well, that's when the other people went crazy. They said, oh, oh, thy sins be forgiven thee. Who can forgive sins but God? And you and I answer, exactly. That's the point. He is God made manifest in the flesh. He is God the Son. And Jesus said, thy sins be forgiven me. And that wasn't the last time he said it. And what he is saying to his disciples is this. When you go and you preach in my name and you bring people to the cross and you bring people to what I did for them, when you go, then those that believe, I can tell you right now, I will forgive their sins. And those that don't believe, their sin will be retained. There's no washing away of their sins apart from Jesus Christ. See? And so he gave them that assurance. The assurance that the work is done, the assurance of the work of the Holy Spirit in them, and the assurance that they are preaching the Son of God. The whole Gospel of John presents Him as the God-man. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And God, listen to this, and God was manifest in the flesh, and we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father. He is saying, I am God. Hmm. There's the assurance. Now the question is, what are we doing with that mission? You're saved. Jesus paid it all. That's why we sing that song. That's why we ought to sing that song. That's why we ought to sing those kind of songs. Jesus paid it all. You can't pay him back. But what an insult when he says, I have laid, I have come to do my Father's will. I have come to seek and to save. As my Father has sent me, he was the sender, I am the sent one, even so send I you. And that would be all the way till he comes again. Now, the question is, what are we doing with that mission? 
I'm just saying, your life as a believer, what are you doing with that mission? Well, what are you doing to see that sinners get to know Jesus as their Savior? That's the mission. It's, it's, it's too clear. As my Father has sent me, why would you come? To seek and to save that which is lost. Even so, send I you. Listen to this. This is so simple. Uh, the Apostle Paul, you know, he's teaching there in <clears throat> Romans chapter 10, uh, uh, chapter 9, he's pre uh, preaching about the salvation that is ours. That's where he says, nobody needs to ascend up into heaven, to, that is to bring Christ down. From, well, Jesus has already come and died for us. Nobody needs to descend into the deep to bring him up from the dead. He already died and is resurrected from the dead. He said, what he is saying there is the same thing. Everything's already done. And he said, this word that we preach unto you, it's nivy, it's near you, it's even in your mouth and in your heart. It's as close to you as the exercise of the heart and mouth. What? That if thou shalt confess uh, with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's the way of salvation right there. I get saved my own way. No, you won't. I'm sorry, just on the authority of the Bible, that's not true. The way of salvation is too clear in the Bible that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If we come to God acknowledging our sin and know he paid for my sin, he was buried, he rose again from the dead. If you'll receive that and believe it, believe it in your heart, confess it with your mouth, boom, he'll save you. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. As the scripture saith, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. And there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich and to all that call upon him. Ho, ho, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yeah, that's the old Romans road. Well, what? Like it's not good anymore? Of course it is. It's wonderful. Makes me want to run up this aisle and back, but I'm afraid I'd scare half of you out of here. I mean, Jesus came and died for our sins, and, and, and he told us exactly what it means to be saved. That's what Baptists say. Baptist, my foot, that's what the Bible says. That's what the book says. That's what it means, and that's consistent with the whole message of the Bible. Saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Jesus did the work. We can receive it or not receive it. Oh, what about that verse? For whosoever shall call whosoever. You're, I guess you're one of those whosoever will people, huh? <laughs> Boy, you got that right. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then everybody ought to call on the Lord. But he goes on and says, But how are they going to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they going to call upon him if they have not? How are they going to believe if they don't hear? How are they going to hear if somebody doesn't tell them? How are they going to be told if the people aren't sent? I mean, he just, the most simple logic, oh, the Bible is not logical. This is the most simple logic you can find anywhere. That anybody that will call upon the Lord must be saved, but they're not going to call upon a Jesus that they don't believe in. 
And they're not going to believe in him unless they hear about him. And they're not going to hear about him unless somebody tells them. And the Bible says, how are they going to preach or tell if they're not sent? It's by the life and the authority of a New Testament church. Jesus started that church with his disciples. And the connection goes on to this very day, ladies and gentlemen, that the gospel is still being preached. Do you understand that it is our responsibility not to look at the church as a Christian social club? Not to look at the church like, what does your church have to offer me and my family? The question ought to be, what do you have to offer to do the work of the gospel to get the word out? That's why a New Testament church exists. That's what the second track is all about. That's what Jesus laid down. Hey, I'm for fellowship. I'm for food, too. I'm for all of that stuff. I am. But if we think the mission of the church is to keep Christians entertained in a wholesome atmosphere, we've missed it totally and completely. The mission of this church is to get the gospel of Jesus Christ where people can hear it in order to be saved. That's it. That's my job as a Christian. That's my job as a member of a Bible-believing church. That's your job as a Christian. That's your job as a member of Victory Baptist Church or whatever authentic New Testament Baptist church you might be a member of. That's our job. Jesus laid it perfectly. The issue in a world mostly lost of nearly 7 billion souls is the fact that people sit in church pews for too many decades, too many years, sit in church pews, proud of themselves for having a good church record but not really interested in getting sinners under the sound of the gospel, which is their only hope of salvation. I said it's their only hope of being saved and have their sins forgiven. I said their only hope. This is Easter Sunday, I know. This happens as the first service of a revival meeting. A lot of God's people need revived about these matters. I've needed it over and over again. I'm not going to lie to you. I've had to get, I've had to be corrected over and over. I've had to have repair work done in my own heart, in my own life, to make sure I'm doing what I'm here to do, not just doing here using the gospel to fulfill some of my dreams and goals and ambitions. No, no, no. Jesus came to save sinners. And if you're here today and you say, man, that's, yeah, well, no, let me just tell you this. You're going to meet God someday. The Bible says our, our life is like a handbreadth. Handbreadth. I'm 74. You know how old I feel like I should be? Well, I mean, in the morning when I wake up, 94, but I'm just saying. I, I, I mean, just looking at life, you know how old I feel like I should be? About 34. And it's just, whew. I've got a sister that's 85. Can't believe I'm 85, she said. Got a brother that's 83. Just talked to both of them the other day. 83 and 81. And every time we get together, it's the same thing. Can you believe I'm past 80 years old? Still talking about it? Excuse me. Our life is a handbreadth. My son makes fun of me every once in a while being old, and I said, talk on. Just enjoy it, boy. Just enjoy it. You won't be doing it long. Is everybody with me here? Our life is a handbreadth. 
And we're not even guaranteed of the rest of today, let alone a full life. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, He died to save you from your sins. I'll work things out my own way and go to hell. I have no pleasure in saying that, Pastor. That's the message of the Bible. If you die without Jesus Christ, you will perish. You come to grips with your sin, your helplessness before God. You're breathing His air. You're living on His time. He, your life exists because of Him. You are not self-existent. You exist because of God. And when all is said and done, you'll give an account to God. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you'll be separated forever from fellowship with God. In Him. You need to be saved. That's why He came. That's why the sinless one became his, the sin bearer for all of us sinners. Did you hear what I said? The sinless one became the sin bearer for all of us sinners. And he'll forgive you of your sin if you'll confess it and ask him to forgive you, believing in what he did. Lord, you know who's here today. I would pray for every person in this room that is either struggling with whether they're saved or not, or they know they are not saved, I would pray first and foremost that they would come to a realization that apart from Jesus Christ, the, there's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The way, the truth, the life, no man comes to the Father. If there's somebody here that doesn't know Jesus, oh God, I pray they'd not leave this room and further frustrate themselves by trying to pick up their life by their own bootstraps and present themselves righteous before you. If we don't have the righteousness of Jesus as ours, then we perish, plain and simple. Man, woman, boy or girl here today that know deep in their heart, I need to be saved. May they come and receive Jesus today to be their Savior. Ask Him to forgive them of their sin. Acknowledge that He paid the price for their sin. That He finished the work. That He did what is necessary for us to have eternal life. And, and for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall we say, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead. Oh, God, I pray for the salvation of those that are without Christ. And I pray for believers today, coasting through life. This is not a, this, this is not a blanket accusation against everybody in this room, but too many believers, there's no doubt, coast through life. Think little of why they are left here. Think little of their responsibility to lay this second track. And give somebody without Jesus opportunity to know him and to be saved. Isolate themselves. Go to church at their own, uh, at their own uh, wishes and at their own time. Everything's conditioned upon themselves. Very little condition upon your will and your purpose for saving them and having them here in this life. If there are believers in this room, no, I need a revival and I need it today. I pray they'd have the humility of heart to humble themselves before you. Now bless this invitation time for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we?